beginning in verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with them, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob, and his sons. And what follows is a genealogical list arranged by the mo- each individual mother, as we've seen before. But some time has passed, and to this list are added some grandsons and even one granddaughter there in verse 17. We're going to move now, now down to verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. So all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. The bulletin insert has some more information about these numbers, if you'd like to look at that later. Verse 28. Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." Joseph, having now prepared his family to meet Pharaoh, he now goes and prepares Pharaoh to meet his family, chapter 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. We have come to sojourn. In other words, we pose no threat. We're not here to stay. Don't fear us. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. That Goshen is the best of the land is totally subjective. I suspect if you know anything about the geography, Goshen would have been quite a ways away from the main population of Egypt. And I suspect in Pharaoh's mind, Goshen was the best of the land for you and your stinky animals. Keep them out there. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in their days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their descendants. With Israel now settled in Goshen, the text turns his attention to Egypt proper. Verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, by us and our land for food? And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on that al- the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. The propriety of Joseph's actions in this have been greatly uh, uh, closely examined and, and sometimes very much uh, 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 maligned. Uh, The bulletin insert also has some brief discussion of those issues as well. Verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own. 
as seed for the field, as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it, may it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priest alone did not become Pharaoh's. Must pray. Lord, we are ourselves at times a tired and beleaguered people. Beset by the troubles we bring upon ourselves through our sin, beset by the trials and tribulations of this life. We need encouragement. We need to know that you care for us. We need a moment of blessing from you. Show us today from your word how you ordain blessings, even in this life, for those who are yours. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Reflect for a moment upon anything you have done that was difficult or took a long time. Uh, perhaps a degree you earned or some skill you acquired. Uh, maybe trying to save up for that first home. Any long, difficult journey is made easier if along the way you get a little taste of the end. If you get a little glimpse of the goal. Perhaps a B-plus in a particularly difficult class made the degree seem attainable. You probably felt some sense of hope when you were saving up for that first home and the bank account finally got over that five-figure mark. There was a light at the end of the tunnel. An expecting mother facing nine months of all kinds of challenges to her body is encouraged when she feels the first kick of that little one. Believing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel is easier if along the way we catch some glimpse of that light. The darkness is less dark with a little boost, a little encouragement, a little help along the way. And that's really our text today. Keep in mind that Genesis' first audience was not 21st century Americans. Genesis' first audience were a bunch of Israelites wandering in the wilderness. You and I read this text and we think, how sweet, a family reunion, they're all back together, isn't that wonderful? That's probably not how the original audience heard this text. You know how it is when you're watching a movie that's got a scary scene and you're yelling at the television, don't open the door! That's how they're hearing this. Jacob, don't go down to Egypt. Something terrible waits on the other side. Slavery. 400 years of bondage. Don't go down that road. And yet what we see here is God's encouragement, God's gifts, God's blessings on the path. As a reminder that, yes, you're headed down a difficult road. Yes, hard times are ahead of you. But I'm with you. I'm encouraging you. We read how Jacob himself was hesitant about going to Egypt. It was scary for him, let alone those who heard it in the wilderness 400 years later. But remember, Jacob has been told, his grandfather was told, I will enslave your your offspring in a land not their own for 400 years. His father, uh, 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 Isaac, 
had begun to head toward Egypt when there was a famine in Canaan, and God stopped him in Beersheba and said, don't go down there. Jacob has every reason to be afraid. But just as the the kick of that baby makes the long road of pregnancy more bearable, so what we find in these chapters are God's blessings along the way to help him through and to help us through. This is, if you will, the happy side of God's providence. There are three blessings in particular I want us to consider, and they are actually in the bulletin there in the notes section. The blessings that I want us to look at this morning is the blessing of a history with God, the blessings of family, and the blessings of property and provision. The blessings of history with God, the blessings of family, and the blessings of property and provision. Let's look at that first one outlined in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 46. The blessings of a history with God. Entering any difficult time is made easier if you do so with someone you know and trust by virtue of a shared history. 35 years ago, I believed, I hoped, that I had found a faithful and trustworthy partner with whom to share my life, with whom to face life's challenges. Today, I know that I have such a wife. Why? Because we've been through things together. What was once a theory, a hope, a belief, is today a confirmed fact. Facing life's challenges is scary. Doing it with someone you trust makes it easier. Jacob is facing a scary journey. The prospect of going to Egypt frightens him, and that's why he stopped in Beersheba. Beersheba is essentially Canaan's southernmost border town. Beyond that is wilderness, desert actually, and then Egypt. But God comes to him and blesses him. And notice how God does it. This is the third time now that God has met with Jacob. In the previous theophanies, God greeted Jacob differently. Way back in Genesis 28, at the first Bethel uh, uh, meeting, God introduced himself to Jacob as, I am Yahweh. God introduced himself formally with his proper name. At the second Bethel meeting in chapter 35, God met Jacob and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. It was the promise of God's provision and protection as Jacob met new challenges. Here at the close of Jacob's time in the promised land, as he looks forward to a new sojourn in a scary place, God meets Jacob and actually points backwards to their history together. I am the God of your father. God points not to his own person, I am Yahweh, not to even his own power, I am El Shaddai, but rather he points to their shared history together. We go back a ways, you and me, Jacob. We've got a history together. You know I can be trusted. Just as my uh, scary journey as I grow older is made easier because I face it with a known and trusted partner. So Jacob's scary descent into Egypt is made easier by the presence of a known and trusted God. This history is emphasized and made more poignant by virtue of their meeting place. 
Beersheba was, for all intents and purposes, the hometown of Isaac, Jacob's father. This is where Isaac stopped on his way to Egypt. This is where he negotiated water rights with the Philistines. This is where he lived out the majority of his life. So in his father's hometown, God comes to him and says, I am the God of your father. This is where Isaac uh, lived out his life, and, and uh, God comes to Jacob and says, I will join you, and just as I was with your father, I will go forward with you. I will face the future with you. I will go down to Egypt with you. And this word of God was absolutely necessary. After all, God had already warned them, as we mentioned, about the, the, enslave, the enslavement in Egypt, and God had specifically stopped Isaac once upon a time from going to Egypt. So Jacob needed God to overturn God's previous commands. By the way, we need that. We should never go against the word of God except that the word of God tells us to. And that ain't going to happen very often, folks. If you think you've been told to do something contrary to the word of God, you probably haven't been. The number of those occasions is phenomenally rare. But God intervenes and tells Jacob to go. So Jacob is not leaving as some like act of doubt. He's not leaving Canaan going, I don't trust God. God can't provide for me in Canaan. That's not what's going on here. Jacob is specifically told to go, but he's told that that God will be with him. I am the God of your father. I've been with you and with your family before you. You know me. We have a history. You can trust me. And dear believer, I'd like you to think about the times in your life when you have had to ponder some decision, some future step, as Jacob is doing here in Beersheba. You stood at some crossroads and made a decision. I don't know what it was. Maybe you faced a decision like this. I know, you know, go back to 2008, the economy was coming apart at the seams. Maybe some of you were facing that decision of, I know, I know Jesus said to let my yes be yes. But wow, it would sure be easier to walk away from this mortgage. Some of you are sitting going, I know Jesus said, let my yes be yes, but wow, it would sure be easier to walk away from this marriage. And in those moments, you face a Jacob-like decision. Am I going to walk with God in the way that seems scary to me, or am I going to go my own way? And by the way, whichever way you chose, as you reflect on it, hopefully you've grown in faith. Where you have walked with God, hopefully God is now, you've lived long enough that God has begun to reveal to you the why behind that. You get to look back and go, now I see it. Now I understand why I was supposed to do that or go there or be that kind of person. And as we walk with God, it becomes easier to walk with God. As we get to know him better and see his word play out in our lives, We have the blessing that Jacob had here. We have a history with God. By the way, it's no coincidence that God wants his people to be uh, uh, governed on this earth by elders, those who have a history walking with God and seeing him in action. Just as I have a confidence moving forward with a trusted wife, so we gain confidence as we walk the road with God. Jacob is facing a future with a God of his father. 
The second blessing that we see in this text is the blessing of family. And I understand that on this intermediate Sunday between Mother's Day and Father's Day, not all of us are sitting here excited about our earthly families. I understand that some of us feel like our families don't measure up. They don't provide what they ought to provide. They aren't what they should be. Nevertheless, family is a blessing. Let's take a look at what it has to say in the text. It's in uh, uh, verses 5 through 34 of chapter 46. is largely focused on Jacob's family. Jacob has that blessing of the past with God, but he also has the blessing of his present family. As we see there, his family won just the practical side of things. They physically help him. They move him. He is now an old man. He's now 130 years old. And they come to his aid and they physically pack him up and move him. Family can be that kind of practical blessing. The first uh, uh, 20 years of our marriage, we had nine different mailing addresses. That's a lot of moves. And our family helped us pack up and move. Never stop to think about it. It'd be interesting to go back. Were they more enthusiastic to help when we were leaving town or coming to town? Be an interesting study to do. But whatever, they helped us move. Uh, here it is. Jacob's family is providing that kind of practical blessing. But the blessings of family are not merely those practical, physical things. Um, look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. What do we have there? Uh, uh, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph. Notice that Judah continues to play a prominent leading role in this family. And that actually should be surprising to us to some degree. After all, Judah is not exactly the poster boy for wise decisions. It was Judah who was the driving force behind Joseph being sold into slavery. That was Judah's idea. And it was Judah who through a bizarre set of circumstances, ends up being the father of his own grandson. Think about that for a moment. He slept with his daughter-in-law. But it's okay because it was an accidental thing because he thought he was sleeping with a prostitute. I I don't care how you try to spin that. It's a mess. Judah had a messed up life, and yet here we see him in a leading role in the family. We saw him last week playing a leading role in the, in the reunification of the brothers. So what do we have going on here? What's happening here? Well, family puts us in a situation where we almost have to forgive and move on. We almost have no choice but to reconcile. When you can't get along with family, you don't just pack up and go next door and just jump into a new family. So Greta and I are out yesterday. We stopped by Lowe's to get some things. On our way out of Lowe's, we stopped by a fast food joint. I won't be more specific. And they got our order wrong in every way. Well, I can just go to a different fast food joint next time, can't I? I can consume somewhere else. But we're not consumers of a family. We're members of a family. We're part of the family. I can't just pack up and go to a new family. And that's why we see Judah back in this leading role. By virtue of the fact that he's part of the family, the family has had no choice but to reconcile. They've had to accept the change in Judah. They've seen his repentance and his attempt to restore the relationship. And they were not ever free to just walk away from Judah because they didn't like what he did. 
family forces us into places of forgiveness and reconciliation and uh, restoration. Some years ago, Becky and I were driving home from another family get-together where my sister and I had blown up at each other and kind of ruined the whole get-together for everybody else. In the car ride home, Becky kind of looked at me and said, could you please figure out how to make it work? We've got a whole lifetime of these family get-togethers ahead of us. For the sake of the rest of us, could the two of you just figure it out? We didn't know, but our brother-in-law was having that same conversation with my sister. Fast forward to today. In about six weeks, we will be in Michigan for the Shaw, annual Shaw Family Beach Weekend, hosted at my sister's house. And I can't wait to go. And when we pack up to come back home here, I will be sad. I will be sad to be leaving my sister. We mended the relationship because we had to. That's what family does for us. You know, when we treat family in a consumer mindset, and I hope by this point you're beginning to extend and recognize how this applies to the church. For the church is most certainly a family. God uses a a, a steady stream of familial terminology for the church. It is the household of God. It is the bride of Christ. He is our father. Christ is our older brother. And we are brothers and sisters. This is a family relationship. And family is not something we consume and can just go somewhere else when we don't like it. When we treat the church that way, we miss out on the blessings of family. We miss out on being forced to do what we should have wanted to do all along. Reconcile and repair and forgive. When we just pick up and go to another church because we don't like what somebody said to us at that church, when we just pick up and go to another family just because we don't like what somebody in that family did to us, we aren't growing spiritually. Family has the blessing of being a a situation where we have no choice but to get along. By the way, have you ever stopped to think about why God sent them down into Egypt at all? Really, at this point, we have to ask ourselves, last week we looked at the providence of God, this week we're looking at the blessings of God, we have to scratch our heads and say, why did they ever end up in Egypt as slaves? God is God. Could he have not provided for them in Canaan to get through the famine? Could he not have seen fit to leave them in Canaan? Well, there are a number of things. One of them, we are told later on that God, the, the, the full wickedness of the Canaanites had not reached its full measure and they were not, God did not yet want to wipe them off the face of the earth to make room for his children. But there are some other issues going on. Consider this, the history of this family. Did Abraham and his brother Haran form a nation? They went their separate ways, didn't they? I'm not saying there was any animosity, but they did not become a nation together. Isaac and Ishmael did not become a nation together. Jacob and his brother Esau, they reconcile, 
They end their lives with a warmth, but they do not form a nation together. You see, the realities of life are such that even if you have a close relationship, as you grow older, as your life begins to grow, as your children and your grandchildren, you become more tied up in them in the future line and get pulled away from that past line. So uh, Abraham and Haran could not form a nation. Ishmael and Isaac could not form a nation. Esau and Jacob could not form a nation. How on earth are you going to keep 12 brothers united? It is the move to Egypt, ironically, that turns Israel from a man to a country, to a nation. It is their cultural and linguistic isolation moving from Asia into Africa that forces them to get along with one another, to bond to one another, to not to be free to go their separate ways, but to become one united entity. And it will be the difficulty and the heat of slavery that will meld them into one unit. Nothing forms bonds faster than a shared enemy. And again, when we in the church too quickly want to escape though that sort of heat, that sort of difficulty, that sort of hardship. We escape the opportunity to be united as one. We miss out on the blessings of family. God has provided for Jacob the blessing of a past together, and he points to that past as a reason that Jacob can go forward confidently. God has provided to Jacob a family wherein people must necessarily help one another, get along with one another. We even see Joseph uh, uh, looking out for his brothers. The whole preparation of going in to meet Pharaoh. What is Joseph doing for them there? He's setting it up so they can stay in Goshen, so they don't go into the heart of Egypt, so they aren't subsumed in the culture and the paganism of Egypt, so that when the day comes they have to get away, they're at Goshen, it'll be easier to get away. You can be sure that somebody in that clan was thinking to themselves, really, Joseph, Goshen? If we moved into Thebes, we'd have nicer neighborhoods, better schools. We could go see Taylor Swift concert once in a while. You know, we'd be closer to everything going on. And Joseph has the wisdom to go, no, 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 no. I've lived in Egypt. You do not want to live in the heart of this culture. Stay out there. Family protects us and keeps us safe as well. The third blessing that we have here is the blessing of property and provision. It's most of the the portion of chapter 47 that we read, 1 through 26. Um, If you look at uh, uh, verses 1 to 4 in chapter 47... You know, Joseph is looking for a place where his brothers could pasture their flocks and, and keep themselves alive. You know, but in a drought situation, what's the best you can hope for for pasturing? There might be a little grass, just enough to keep those animals alive, but they're going to be scrawny. They're going to be unhealthy. The best you could hope for under these circumstances would be a sustenance, a subsistence farming. And yet, what do we see in verse 6? Pharaoh offers them employment. If you know any able men among them, your brothers, put them in charge of my flocks. A few weeks ago, I shared a story of how my sister and I used to work together back when we were teenagers at the same McDonald's. Well, I got that job because my sister worked there first. 
She worked there. They liked her. They liked her work ethic. They liked her attitude. And they thought, we'll take a chance on another Shaw. Could be my fault. My brother never worked there. I don't know. Same thing is going on here. Pharaoh's looking at Joseph and going, this guy, everything he touches is gold. Everything he does succeeds. Maybe there's some of that Joseph mojo in the rest of the family. So they get not mere subsistence. They get employment. They get jobs. They are given a chance to make a living. Um, We see that if all else fails, though, they are going to have provision. Look at verse 12. Joseph provided his father's brothers and his father's household with food according to the numbers of their dependents. Some of them are going to get jobs. All of them are going to at least have food. God provides for them. There is provision. In verses 7 through 10, we read about how the meeting between Jacob and Pharaoh, Jacob is being honored there by meeting with Pharaoh. And then in verse 11, we see something important. Look at verse 11 of chapter 47. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. That is a stunning statement. It is a doubly ironic phrase. First, Canaan was the promised land, but they were sojourners there, possessing almost none of it. Abraham famously buying the family gravesite at Sarah's death. But here they are now in Egypt as sojourners, by their own confession, and now they possess land. How ironic, how backwards, how interesting. This is God's blessing to them. This is God's grace to them on a difficult journey. Pharaoh has said that land belongs to them. God has granted them a certain amount of stability through Pharaoh's decree. And there's a second second irony to the fact that they possess land in Goshen. And it's found down in verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. So ironically, in Egypt, the Egyptians don't own any land. But in Egypt, the Hebrews possess Goshen. They probably didn't see themselves as blessed. There's a pretty good chance that at least some in that clan were sitting there going, man, I wish we were back in Canaan. This stinks. This isn't where I want to be. They don't have any kind of the grocery stores that I like. Nobody speaks my language. I don't want to be here. But God has blessed them. He's provided for them. He's allowed them to possess land in a place where nobody else possesses land. He's given them a respite and a breather. We sometimes overlook the blessings of God, the small things in our lives, the things that don't really seem like a blessing to us, but they are. You know, we open up talking about God's blessings and encouragement along the way, the things that strengthen us so we can stay the course and, and walk in obedience. And Jacob, in obedience to God's word, he made the scary decision to go down into Egypt because he had a history with God. And that was a blessing. He went there with family. He went there with those who would uh, accept him no matter what, 
who would help him grow and mature, who would help each other grow. And we see that in the restoration of Judah to a leading role. And that was a blessing of God. And upon getting there, they are allowed provision. Food is given to them. They're given provision through the uh, means of employment to Pharaoh. And they're given possession of land. Now, there's one other thing we should note as we leave this behind. Let's remember the first audience of this. Let's remember the little ones who are walking in the wilderness some 400-odd years later after this. And Moses is reading out, them, out to them Genesis for the first time. And he's telling them this story of this right here. This comes after a time. This comes after the meeting of God with Moses and the people at Mount Sinai. Where God said to them, you will be to me a nation of priests. They're hearing this story going, hey, you know, the only people who got to possess land in Egypt were the priests. Did you catch that in there? How it said Joseph did not take the land of the priests? The only people who got to possess land in Egypt were priests. We're a nation of priests. That's right. God made us special. God set us apart for his purposes on this earth. Now, did their possession of Goshen last? No, it did not. They were eventually enslaved. Did the provision of food to them last? No, eventually the provision of straw didn't even last, and they had to go find it for themselves. Did Joseph place his power in the, in the uh, throne room of Egypt last? No, it did not. There arose a pharaoh who did not remember Joseph. The journey would get difficult. But in this time right here, God gives them a breather. He gives them a respite. He gives them a bit of light. And says, be encouraged. Know that I am with you. Look what I'm providing for you. Do you see in your life, through the blessings of your church, the family of God, through the blessings of your biological family, through the provision of a home and food such that it is, even if it isn't much, do you see in your past with God a great blessing by which you might move forward in confidence and faith? Let's pray. Lord God, you have set us apart to be a nation of priests those who could enter your presence, those who can come to you, those who can be spokesmen for others. And so we lift each other up this morning in prayer. We bring to you the, all of the, our, our brothers and sisters who are gathered around the world on this, your day. And we ask, Lord, that they would be encouraged to see the blessings that you have given. Christians who are facing persecution in countries like China, Christians that are facing poverty in certain sub-Saharan nations, Christians who are facing difficulties in their own families and employment, Christians in this room who are struggling with the realities of this life. Would you reveal to them your times of blessing? Would you reveal to each of us your fatherly care for us? Those moments that you give us an opportunity to look up and go, oh, that's right. He's with me. He loves me. And he will see me through. 
We thank you for blessings as we walk the road of life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.